folks, Maya Culpa is currently on vacation. So please enjoy this encore presentation of the best of Maya Culpa featuring my friend Michael Smirkanish. Okay, so Mike, of all of your years in radio and television reporting on politics, have you ever seen a midterm election shape up the way that this one did? And if you were able to isolate one factor that kept the Democrats from a complete shellacking, you know, as they like to say, what would it be? It would be the hand of your former boss. I'm not <laughs> unique. I'm not alone in saying that his, candid his candidate selection was horrible. And there's no better example than where I sit, you know, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, because by his anointing of Doug Mastriano and Mehmet Oz, he bypassed two much more electable in a general candidates. I'm referring to Lou Barletta, who was a candidate for governor, and Dave McCormick, uh, who was a candidate for the U.S. Senate. Interesting, because as I watch the news, all I keep hearing is that Trump was going to announce either on the 14th or the 15th of this month. And as you know, because I've been on your show and we've spoken quite a bit and when you watch me on CNN or MSNBC, I've been saying all along that Trump is not going to announce. He's not going to run. He's not going to give up the big grift. And interestingly enough, after yesterday's, let's just call it poor performance by the Republicans that they were expecting, right, this gigantic red wave, what's amazing is that the first thing that comes out in the press is that Trump may not be announcing after uh, Trump considers delaying. This is the Washington Post. Trump considers delaying 2024 announcement after the midterm failures. Of course he should. You agree? He needs an exit ramp. I mean, he, he needs a graceful exit. And Michael, I don't see what it might be. I mean, you know him far better than I, but the one thing he doesn't want to be perceived as is a loser and I think the other thing he doesn't want to be perceived as is a quitter. So how in the face of, you know, this New York Post, which I bought today and I don't normally buy the Post, but I couldn't pass it up at Wawa at 5.45 a.m. today, it'll look like he's been forced out because of, because of the poor performance of his candidates, which it is. But what's the excuse? You know him. He'd have to come up with a line. Yeah. I think the line that he'll come up with is that he, he met and he spoke with his family. Melania doesn't want him to run. In fact, Melania didn't want him to run the first time either. That the hatred, the vitriol, the divisiveness of the Democrats towards the Republicans would continue to bring more issues, uh, which he's not prepared to do. However, he is going to remain at the helm of the GOP, that he will be the kingmaker. He will be more beneficial to Republicans on the sidelines, raising monies and guiding them in terms of policy and how to act than if, in fact, he takes on the presidency. That's how I see him trying to extricate himself from this. But you I think, think that Trump that jumped in, the shark. In the, next, in the next couple of days, you think he does no. that? No. Ultimately. No. No, ultimately, I don't think he announces in the next couple of days. I think he just lets it go, thinking that the American people, and this is his comment, have basically a 10-day to 14-day memory of anything right? at most. And so therefore, in another 10 days to two weeks, the American people will forget that he stood up there on his podium making the statement that in a few days— there's going to be an announcement. Now, you know, I can't say it. I can't. Quite frankly, I, I would like to, but I can't. But rest assured, many people will be happy. Now, again, what that does is it's supposed to leave open enough wiggle room. Many people will be happy. Yeah, the Democrats that you're not running, you fucking bullshit artist, right? This is merely an opportunity for him to continue the great grift and I'm going to tell you how I know it's the great grift, not because I'm clairvoyant or um, possess some sort of, you know, Nostradamus capabilities. No, I've received no less than 80, 
80 emails, text messages from various different members of his pack of the RNC, uh, of the, you know, of the GOP, from his family members, all asking for what? Money. Money. Yeah. Patriot, friend, American, you know, MAGA. We are under attack. You know, what they're doing to your president, you know, is disgraceful. Send me $2,250. Michael, Michael, I, I have to ask you a question. Isn't the purpose in him announcing sooner than later, A, to freeze the field and to freeze the fundraising for would-be opponents? That's part of it. But also because of his belief that it will provide him with a level of protection against indictment, that Merrick Garland and any other prosecutor who's looking at him has to say, not only am I about to indict a former president of the United States, but I'm also about to indict someone who's now running for the office and is the presumptive front runner for the Republican nomination. I think that's a large part of his motivation. And all of a sudden, he becomes very, very vulnerable if He's no longer running. He gives up that card for whatever it's worth. Okay, let's take the second part first. Yeah. yeah. The potential run or the announcement by Donald will not stave off any litigation. There is nothing in the books that says that you cannot continue a criminal case or a civil case against someone who makes an announcement that they will run for the president of the United States of America. Now, whether or not that he is the presumptive nominee, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. I'm pretty sure that folks like Ron DeSantis may have, you know, um, something to say about that comment. But under no circumstance does announcing have any effect upon any of the cases against him. So whether he does or he doesn't, okay, there is no benefit to him in wait, that remember, respect. R- remember me, I'm, I'm the lawyer who actually took the time to read the Stormy Daniels non-disclosures that you drafted. Okay. So I recognize, I'm not saying it provides legal protection per se. I just think he believes it strengthens him if he's now running and has to say to Merrick Garland, the only way you'd bring this is, is for a political purpose. I'm not arguing that somewhere in the DOJ guidelines it says you can't do that. And the second Except, point that I would make- Wait, 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 wait a second. Point, let me just, let me just, let me just yeah. attack something on that one. Except for the fact that Merrick Garland would turn around and say, Mr. Former President, you're probably right. You're probably right. If we brought a case against you today, you could say that. The problem is that these cases are already existing and ongoing. So we won't bring any new cases against you, which we could. We're just going to continue the ones that already exist. And there's at least a dozen out there. Just because I, I you know, make Michael, an announcement, it's, it's, not going to, it's not going to stop any of the litigation and his lawyers, because he does have a few that are there that are competent. I'm certain that they told him exactly that. Okay, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing that it it provides this legal protection. I think he believes it strengthens his hand and makes Garland, Merrick Garland, think twice. That's all I'm arguing. And uh, and, and, and again, Mike, you could be right about that. Except I'm sure the competent counsel that he has around him is saying, while you may think that, Mr. Former President. It's not accurate. What was the okay, first can part? I, can I, what was the first this, part of your question, though? Wait, the second thing I want to respond to is you injecting DeSantis's name because I said Trump is the presumptive front runner. I stand by that as of today, but this is a very fast moving dynamic. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm a guy who said when he came down the escalator and talked about Mexico sending us its rapists, I'm a guy who said when he sat there with, uh, Uh, Frank Luntz and said relative to John McCain, I like the ones or I respect the ones who don't get captured. I'm the guy who said when he said, grab him by the P, he's finished, he's finished, he's finished. So I have a I have an unblemished record of being (laughs) wrong about your former boss. But this feels when you take when he's lost the New York Post 
uh, and the Murdoch when the Washington Examiner, when Mike Pence, uh, and I hope we get a chance to talk about Mike Pence because I've got things I want to say about him. But in we the will. Wall Street Journal, you know, goes through the TikTok of what happened up until January 6th and thereafter. I, I again, I again am tempted to say I don't think he recovers from this because now the conservative coalition is closing ranks against him. We will know it's over when he loses the heads of the RNC. I'm talking, of course, about Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. Well, look, one thing that we know is that the New York Post and Fox News are all owned by the same individual. The fact that Rupert Murdoch, who, and I can get into a whole series on this, that Rupert Murdoch put on the front page calling him Trumpy Dumpty and basically stating that he is to the GOP like a can of Raid, the insect um, repellent killer, this is, a real, this is a real issue for him. And I say yes. that because yes. a lot of people aren't really concentrating now on the things that Trump did and said post the midterm um, about Ron DeSantis. Now, David Frum, who I happen to enjoy reading his articles in The Atlantic, went ahead and he put out an article. It's called uh, Trump Lost the Midterms, DeSantis Won. And everybody's saying the same thing. So yeah. what does Donald do? The first thing he does is he comes up with a moniker. And this, again, is in my book, Revenge. It's, I talk about it slightly in Disloyal, but I talk about this all the time. Knowing him the way that I do and have basically being shoulder to shoulder with him for over a decade, the first thing he's going to do is come up with a moniker. So now you have Ron DeSanctimonious. Now, truthfully, I don't even know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. It doesn't even make any sense. Ah. And, and rest assured, this orange-crusted lard ass can't even fucking spell it, right? But it doesn't make any sense. However, it's a nickname, and Trump is great with monikers. I mean, I'm, you know, the convicted, you know, convicted felon, um, you know, or the, you know, lying cone or whatever else he, you know, he ended up calling me. One of the next thing that he'll do, and this is a real problem, the next thing that he does is he uses the various different outlets that he had relations to in order to destroy your reputation, your name, and your chances. And remember, he did that to both Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and a whole slew of others. Marco Rubio, on the front page of the National Enquirer, which then got picked up by dozens of other periodicals, he had Marco Rubio naked in a pool on a cocaine binge with a bunch of other guys. So... That opened up conversation in many different ways. And we all know what was done with Ted Cruz, and I was involved in that as well, which is putting the photo of his father with Lee Harvey Oswald with the caption, Ted Cruz's father killed JFK. He no longer has the National Enquirer to do that. First of all, nobody gives a shit about them anyway. It's not the same as even before. And they're not going to do it because they're being watched. Second, he lost the New York Post, which was a tremendous ally of his in terms of this misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation that he puts out on a daily basis. So it's very, very interesting. I'm curious myself to see how he ends up you know, going after DeSantis in that respect other than putting it on his untruth social platform or you know, maybe... Newsmax, and I don't think Chris Ruddy would do that because he's making a lot of money on it, or OAN. But I don't see he has an ally now in media in order to get these messages out. Unless he's going to get Don Jr. to stand in Times Square on a soapbox screaming it, you know, with an eight ball up his nose. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I agree with you. And to your point, somewhere in my stack, Today, I have him already being quoted as saying that he knows DeSantis, that DeSantis, I'm paraphrasing, is going to get beaten up in this process and that he, Trump, knows things about DeSantis that nobody else knows. So he's already, you know, threatening in the way that that you see coming. And I, I get it. Um, if he loses his voices in prime time on Fox, it's over. And like you, I think we're saying that that New York Post front page doesn't get dropped without a sign-off by the Murdochs. Absolutely. 
interestingly enough, um, what you were paraphrasing, also included Trump making a statement that I'm certain his wife, wife will not the be happy. Now, yeah. you may remember they did this to me, too. Matt Gates did that the, the, day, the night before my House Oversight Committee hearing. And that all came from Donald Trump. So his intent by the slogans, by these comments, is to try to intimidate DeSantis into abandoning the run before it even starts. Now, I right. can tell you one thing. I'm not a big fan of Ron DeSantis. I'm, really, I'm not. I think he's Donald Trump 2.0. I think he's smarter than Donald by a lot. I think he's slicker than Donald. And I think he's going to have a ton of mega billionaires that used to support Donald abandon ship for Donald and jump onto the DeSantis. He seems to me to be the darling of the GOP right now. And the GOP with so many of the Republicans could not be happier that Trump stuck his fucking foot up his ass. And now he's basically being, you know, thrown under the bus. He's being ousted by the Republican Party. But they don't want to do it in a nasty, mean type of way because they still need that 20 some odd percent of the Republicans that he has, though I still believe those people will jump ship too. Okay, so can I respond to that? Every, Absolutely. Every, every once in a while, I, I have to be given the opportunity to say something. I'm just pulling your chain. So <laughs> let's let's fast. I talked about exactly these issues today on radio. So I'm, I'm so happy that this is your focus as well. Let's game theory it out. Let's say that you're wrong, first of all, and that Trump is going to run and that DeSantis is not intimidated by him and is willing to run nonetheless. How do you get everyone else to stand down so that it's a one-on-one? -on -one? I always believed that back in 2016, there were any number of people who, if they got him one-on-one, -on -one, could have defeated him in the primary. But if it's a five-person field, and I, and I don't even care about the quality of the others. I mean, it could be Chris Christie getting in there as, as one of the others, you know, fill in the blank. I but like Chris. You, you, okay. But what I'm saying is Trump is going to garner, I don't know what it is, 30%, 32%, somewhere in that range. And the rest of that vote, if it gets split, he could skate to the nomination. Right. Now, the primary process for, you know, the GOP um, nominee will include multiple people. There's no doubt that if Trump announces Liz Cheney's going to announce, Chris Christie, I believe. I even believe Marco Rubio will jump in, and so will Ted Cruz. So you're right. Will they be splitting it? Well, that's only up until the point that they end up dropping out. So I think at the end of the day, if Trump does declare, I believe it will ultimately be Trump versus DeSantis. And under those circumstances, based upon polls, and you know I don't have a lot of respect for the polls, uh, though I believe this one is accurate, I believe that DeSantis is not only more popular in the state of Florida, right. but throughout the entire country. The interesting thing is that the favorability of Donald Trump is even less than the favorability of Joe Biden. That, to me, is amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. I'll just add this caveat. I think that I'm not talking about issues. I made this this point on my own program and callers immediately believed that I was carrying water for DeSantis and I'm not. I'm stepping back objectively and I'm saying about DeSantis, by the way, in the same way I say it about Gavin Newsom, this guy has good political chops. DeSantis has an impressive resume. He is smart. He's good on his feet. He comes from a great state. I mean, what state would you rather come from to run for president of the United States? Maybe Pennsylvania, you know, maybe Ohio. I don't know. California. There's a lot going. California. There's a lot going for him. Um, the people who know him, and I don't, they do tag him as being prickly. And there's no comparison between a Florida election or running for the presidency. So whatever warts he might have, we're going to see them. I don't know what they are. I just don't know. 
Yeah, n- neither do I. Uh, I'm not friends with him. Unlike Trump, I haven't uh, seen Ron DeSantis in his tidy whities So, look, Mike, let, let me run, <laughs> move on for a quick second. You think that based on our midterm performance that Joe Biden will finally get some much-deserved credit for keeping the party together and for getting as much done as he has during his first two years in office? Or, I mean, uh, do, you think we will ever, do you think we'll ever show Biden some love? I don't, I don't want to be morbid. I wish for Joe Biden a long and healthy life, but probably not until he's gone. I mean, half the country is just not going to give quarter with regard to Biden because they've been whipped into a frenzy that he's senile, um, a huge spender, has left the border open, is responsible for crime and responsible for inflation. By the way, there may be shreds of truth in some of those things, but no, I think independents, I mean, the independent voters were very important on Tuesday. I think independents might give him some credit. I, I think we'll probably see a notch up in his approval rating, but I expect he'll be underwater for the duration of his presidency. No, I don't see it. I'm, I'm more interested in the dynamic of does Biden now feel emboldened to run for reelection where, frankly, I don't think he should. Uh, I, I just think he's I think he's too old. I just think he's too old. And I don't say it as a cheap shot. Um, but I think if Trump does get in, Biden's going to really want to get in and and maybe will. I'm so with you on this one. I happen to be a fan of Joe Biden's. I, I think, think he's that a good there individual, are many things. A good man. Yes, I do. Um, you know, I met Joe Biden the first time when I was, I don't even think I was 14 years old yet. Um, there was a gentleman from my hometown who was very close to him, and I had an opportunity to meet him then when he was um, uh, senator of Delaware. I mean, it, he, was, he was a nice man then, and I see him as a nice man now. I actually know his granddaughter, um, you know, who went to University of Pennsylvania with my daughter. Um, they're, they're a nice family, but you're right. There's one issue that he has that people just do not and cannot seem to get past, and that's his age. I mean, it's just nothing that you do. I don't see him as being senile. In fact, I think, you know, I think he's doing a relatively good job. Am I happy with everything? The answer is no. Do I agree with everything in his politics? No. And again, you know, I say this all the time on the show, but it's worth repeating. I mean, Ed Koch had that funny line. If you agree with me six out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you should see a psychiatrist. Right, right. You and I, you and I are, I, I would say pretty much aligned on many things, but I'm certain that there are things we do not agree on at all, at all. And we're not supposed to. I mean, that would be like a Stepford Wives where everybody agrees to exactly and they do exactly the same thing. We all have different things that are important to us. And so many Americans today are like one issue voters. If I hear one more friend of mine who's incredibly wealthy say, I'm moving to Florida because of taxes. Okay, go. Right. Go. I mean, all of a sudden you want to abandon New York, then abandon New York. Go. And if you think you're going to be saving as much as you are, good for you. Right. I don't understand that conceptually. I really I truly don't. But how is that then fall upon Joe Biden and the fact that the economy is in a recession right now or at least coming into the recession? How is interest rates now simply the sole responsibility of Joe Biden when we're at what, say 7% interest, um, and yet you go into Europe and they're like 18%. I mean, you know, it's the inflation, job creation, you have the afford, you have um, his continuation with the Affordable Care Act, you have the student debt relief. I mean, you may say, I don't like the concept of student debt relief. Maybe I say I do, right? We're not supposed to agree on everything, but these one issue voters where they stick to it, they don't care about anything else, to me, doesn't make sense. Okay, but we have a history in this country of holding you accountable for better or worse whatever's happening on your watch. It's just the way that it is. I've long believed that we give too much credit when the market is high to the president who's in office and too much blame. I candidly don't understand market dynamics enough to have an opinion. I'm sure there's great influence. The same, frankly, with gas prices. 
But it, it's the way we are. We're, we're too superficial and we want to blame or credit at that moment in time. The fact that that that, you know, in inflation or interest rates could be higher in Europe. Nobody gives a shit in the United States. Right. Right. And the problem, you know, the problem is we are not a society that handles things and does everything inside the inside this country we are a global economy and as a result of the global economy when you have issues overseas in terms of supply chains and so on now you know a lot of people get angry at me and i do truly believe this i believe that after reading that we have 360 billion gallons of untapped oil reserves in this country more than iran more than russia more than saudi arabia combined I don't understand why we're not tapping it. And as far as I'm concerned, we should tap it. We should flood the world market with it, sell it as cheaply as we can, and use that to pay off our $38 trillion deficit. Because in the next 10, 15 years, there, will, there won't be a need for fossil fuels anymore. Everything will be you know, carbides. There'll be batteries and so on, lithium batteries, whatever. That's, that's truly my opinion, the amount that we'll need. We have enough to feed the world in terms of oil in this country alone. For the next 50 years. I say we do it. Now people say oh, it's bad for the environment. Okay. But you know what else is bad for the environment? China doing it. Or, or the Saudis doing it. Making so much money that they're creating issues. North Korea right, right now passing right. along you know, armaments to Russia and so on. This is, not, this is not right. We have the ability to put a stop to all of that. I would like to see something like that happen. But will I say Joe Biden's a bad president because he's not doing what I think? No, he's the president. I'm not. When I run for president and win, I'll make that decision. When will that be, by the way? Oh, I don't know. If Trump announces, I think I'm going to announce as well, just simply <laughs> because nothing would be better than for me to be against him on a debate stage. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine? Just ask a question. Just ask any question. You would be the moderator, right? Because you are, you know, you are a show host. What would, right. what would your question? Donald is to my right and I'm in the podium to the left. What would you ask me if I was uh, president? I would ask whether our support for Ukraine will continue in the Michael Cohen administration. First of all, absolutely. You may know my wife is from Chernivtsi in Ukraine born. Um, so I have a lot of people who I know that are there, especially living in Kiev. Uh, unlike this fat fuck standing over here to the right that was trying to extort, you know, money out of them for the sole purpose, right, of going after Joe Biden and his family and so on. Why? Because he is a disgusting human being who only gives a shit about money and filling his pockets with it because he's got a big food bill. Michael, what time what time does the podcast begin? Because we're just sitting here shooting the shit and I'm smoking a cigar. Are we going to roll tape soon? Uh, yeah, we, well, we are. We're all everything's all going. So, all right. You know what? Let me just move on then, because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get it. So, look, Mike, I also know that you were taking a Twitter poll about whether or not Ron DeSanctimonious is the future of the GOP. Yeah. What have you discovered as a result of that? I mean, with two years between now and then there's lots of time for him to screw up. Plus, I don't know if his appeal holds up outside of Florida. What's your opinion? Well, as I said previously, I don't know if he can sustain the rigors of running for the presidency, although it's not a piece of cake to run and be elected twice in Florida. In the survey that you're referencing, I think we had 18,000 people vote and by a greater than 80% margin, People said, yes, yes, he is. And if it's not Ron DeSantis and it's not Donald Trump, I would defy anyone to fill in that blank and say it's so-and-so's party. I think that DeSantis is Trump without some of the baggage, as you've described. I think your description of him as being Trump 2.0 is probably apt. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for his ability to win a nomination, and no matter, Michael, who wins the nomination, in my opinion, because of how divided the country is, it's a coin flip. If Donald Trump, I'm going to say this to you, and you'll probably disagree, if you're wrong and Trump does run and wins the nomination, it's a coin flip, because you can't tell me that it's a certainty that Kamala Harris beats Joe Biden, or pardon me, beats Donald Trump. I don't see that or Pete Buttigieg, or whomever else it might be. 
I'm a big fan of Gavin Newsom's. I believe I Gavin think, Newsom. Well, I, I believe Gavin re- Newsom would be the best person to run against Donald. Who, again, not I don't think he's going to run, and I don't believe he would get the nomination, even if in fact he did run. Well, the for me the sort of battle of the ages, uh, East Coast West Coast, like the rappers, would be DeSantis and Newsom. Because it would be such a choice election for the country in terms of a distinctly different vision of the future. I don't know who wins it, but I think that that would be a, a battle royale. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But I would still I, look, I don't believe and I think Kamala Harris is a very nice lady. I really do. I just don't think that I don't, I don't think that she has done enough in order to be likable. That's the problem. It's very, she, it, it, the way I describe it, it's kind of very similar to the Hillary Clinton uh, scenario. Okay, you, you she, do, she's just not likable. Michael, you do realize, and by the way, I happen to agree with you, but you do realize that in naming two women and raising a question of likability, people are going to listen and watch this, and they're going to say, well, you'd never make that comment about a man. Hold although, on one second. Oh, I make that comment every single I day. Said, now. I said, I said, DeSantis has a reputation for being prickly. Same thing. Talking about the same thing. Okay, let me say, then, I don't believe that Pete Buttigieg would be able to run, because I don't think America is in a place right now where they would accept a gay, um, an, you know, an outwardly and open gay man to be the president of the United States, for whatever the reason, despite how brilliant he is. Meg Whitmer, I'd love to see Meg Whitmer run. I absolutely would. I think she would be fantastic. I think there are plenty of women. I'd love to see Liz Cheney run on behalf of the Republican Party. I mean, you listen to her. There's nothing but brilliance there. So I only used Hillary Clinton as the example because Hillary Clinton, whether she was male or female, is a non-likable individual. She's not her husband. You know, she's just like, look, people love my wife. They love my wife. They say she's the sweetest thing. Then, then there's me. You're not as likable. People don't, she's people married, don't like you gotta, as much. There's got to be an issue with her. She's married to you, right? Something's That's not tough. right there. Well, it's the yin and the yang, my friend. So look, let's let's talk about that. <laughs> All right, we're going to go there. I'm huh, like, let's talk about the future in general, if we can. Wait, aren't you going to ask me about Pennsylvania? I mean, holy shit, I'm on this podcast. I'm a way, Pennsylvanian. We just had this historic we're getting, election. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm trying to go in some sort of a, you know... um. A method. I have a method to my madness here on Maya Culpa, right? And with over sixty million downloads now, it seems to be working. So you know, give me my give me my due. Voters have clearly rejected limits to women's reproductive rights. Will that have any effect on the Supreme Court? Because they're voting directly against the wishes of the people when they're supposed to be working for us. Is there any cure for this runaway court? But Michael, you're a lawyer. Are they really supposed to be working for us or are they supposed to be, as they see it, interpreting the Constitution of the United States? I, I, I have to tell you, I don't look at them like a group of mullahs. I don't think that they're there carrying out a religious order. Uh, I happen to think that Roe never made, I always liked the outcome of Roe. Roe to me was a good outcome because I can't come up with a better one than viability but really based on on a thin interpretation of the substantive due process clause of the the 14th amendment I I think they they act maybe Roberts is different but without any regard for where the chips are going to fall um and I think what it is a reminder and I don't know if Democrats will remember this maybe this time they will but Donald Trump got three picks Every four years, I'm on radio and I'm saying, remember now, the greatest power of a president beyond being commander in chief is the ability to appoint the entire federal bench, including the Supreme Court of the United States. But it never has been an issue that people go into the Democrats, go into the voting booth, top of mind. Maybe the next cycle will be different. Well, we can only hope so. Look, again, you and I are not supposed to agree on everything. I believe that the Supreme Court does work for us. I do believe that they do. And yes, they are supposed to interpret the Constitution, but there are issues like women's reproductive rights, 
same-sex marriage rights and others that I don't think it's an it's right for the Supreme Court to punt it back to Congress or to the states. I just don't see that that's because there's so much infighting from one state to another. You're, you're a citizen of the United States of America. In New York, you can have an abortion. In New Jersey, you can't. Huh? How does that make sense? And then what happens when New Jersey turns around and says, well, if you're a New Jersey resident, you can't go into New York for an abortion. We don't allow it. Right. It becomes like Gilead. Now, I want to jump into what you want to talk about. Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'm just All pulling right? your leg, by the way. I don't give a shit. I'll talk about. No, whatever I, you want I to actually. Talk about. So I actually I'm just enjoy, do. I'm enjoying my cigar. So you ask what you want. All right. Well, I'm a little curious as to yeah. if you thought that this was going to be the outcome, because obviously we all know that Fetterman had a stroke and his um, performance at the debate was, let's just say, less than spectacular. But then again, you have this snake oil salesman of a doctor, Mehmet Oz. By the way, do you think that Oprah's endorsement for Fetterman was, you know, um, one of the deciding factors? Zero. Zero. And, and by the way, I think that, that that endorsement was blown so far out of proportion it was her offering Fetterman's name as one of, I think, six different all Democrats running for the Senate that she said if she lived in their state, she would vote for. I mean, I get it. She made Oz what he'd become. So the fact that she knew him and wasn't going to be for him, that was significant. But where was the TV commercial? Where was the fundraiser? Where was the email pitch? Nothing. She said nothing about Fetterman, and she said nothing about Oz other than uttering Fetterman's name. And the media then took it and ran with it. And I would see all of these, these national programs like Oprah endorses Fetterman. You would think that she gave him the full embrace and went 100% for him, and she didn't. If it mattered, it's because the media made more out of it than I think it deserved. I, you know, look, if you were listening to my program for the last nine months, what you would have heard is me saying that Oz and Fetterman are both deficient. I was not impressed with either of them. I was very descriptive in why I said that was the case. I blame Pennsylvania's closed primary. We're one of nine states with closed primaries. There were two superior general election candidates, each of whom were defeated. Fetterman, to his credit, won every one of the counties in the primary, defeating a congressman named Connor Lamb, who would absolutely have won the general if he survived the primary. And on the Republican side, Oz, because of Trump putting his thumb on the scale in the 11th hour, edged out, you might remember, by 951 votes, uh, Dave McCormick. And McCormick would have been a far superior candidate than than Oz. I thought Pennsylvania was owed Connor Lamb and Dave McCormick, and that never came to pass. You know what's very funny is, let's go back to Fox News for a second, because Fox has really now shown their, you know, they've shown their hand. They are anti-Trumpers, if there's ever been. So they put out a story. It's by David Rutz. Trump, furious over Oz losing in Pennsylvania, blames wife Melania for endorsement. I just right. thought that it was one of the funniest things that's out there. I mean, not only does it make him look like the whiny diaper Donald that he is, but on top of that, he's now attacking his wife because she said to him, yeah, okay, go ahead. Let me tell you, I've known these two long enough to tell you. Melania doesn't give a shit whether Mehmet Oz was running. She just didn't want to talk to Donald. So, you know, when he turned around, he says, sweetie, sweetie, Mehmet Oz, he's great, right? He's great, right? She goes, yes, Donald, he very good. Yeah, he's great, he's great. And then all of a sudden, right, you turn around and he's like, sweetie, should I endorse him? Absolutely, Donald, you guy, you endorse him, you endorse him, right? And that's, and that's how it happened. So now all of a sudden, he leads you with the question. She doesn't give two shits who's running. She just wants to go off and do whatever the hell she's doing, right? Which has nothing to do with him. So she says, sure, whatever the fuck you want, I don't care. Knock yourself out as far as I'm concerned. If you, if you wanted to endorse a tree, I would say yes to that too. But of course, 
in the four years that he was president, in the just about two years leading up to the nomination, and then the post the presidency, have you ever heard Donald once take responsibility for anything that's not favorable? Uh, we Michael, also heard Michael, in his own words. Maybe, did we not, Mike, did we not hear in his own words? He's like, if they win, I take all the credit. I'm getting all the credit. Yeah, I got and it. And if they I lose, heard. if they yeah, lose. It's not my fault. Look, the, the, the thing I don't understand, there's no one close to him giving him good political advice or he just doesn't listen or some combination of the Both. two. Because because I look at it and I rewind the clock and I look at Pennsylvania as an example. And by the way, it's not just Pennsylvania. I mean, the, the gist of John Podhoritz in the New York Post today is to go through all the different races that Trump blew for the GOP. In Pennsylvania, the right answer, if he couldn't decide between Oz and McCormick, was to say they're both acceptable to me. And in the gubernatorial race, instead of going with Doug Mastriano, you know, the so-called Christian nationalist, the guy who dressed in a Confederate uniform at the War College, crazy stuff. He should have gone with Lou Barletta. Lou was like the first member of Congress to sign on with Trump back in 2016. No loyalty shown to Lou. And Lou, I don't know that he could have defeated Josh Shapiro, but he could have given him a race better than 12 points. So it, it was political. So why did Trump do it? Because what mattered to Trump in race after race, whether wit was, wit, are you for Trump? Are you buying into the, the January 6th bullshit and the 2020 uh, election stolen and everything else be damned? I mean, this congressman from Michigan named Peter Meyer, bright, young, more moderate guy who voted for Trump's impeachment. Trump then comes out for a whack job. The whack job just lost after defeating the congressman in the primary. And there's Another seat that should have been a Republican seat would have been a Republican seat. Honestly, in the same way that it's Trump's fault, in my view, that Republicans didn't have control of the Senate for the last two years because of him in Georgia, the midterm is largely his fault. And now something you and I didn't discuss when we talked about the timeline and is he going to announce, how about this one? Is he going to stay out? Is he going to have the resolve to stay out of the Georgia special election on December 6th, I don't think he can control himself. And he might fuck that up. Oh, absolutely. No, no, he cannot control himself. And the worst, Herschel Walker is in a no-win situation with that. If he tells Donald to stay out, let me handle this, I got this, Trump will take that as a slight. Right. Because he believes he made Herschel Walker. Right. And therefore he will go against him and attack him. If he comes in and endorses Herschel Walker and comes to rallies and so on, I think there's enough disdain for Donald right now because of fucking up these midterms that I think he ends up blowing it for Herschel Walker either way. So I don't think that there's a I don't think there's a good outcome for Walker on this. And then the saddest thing is Warnock seems to be a very decent guy, a competent guy. I mean, could you imagine Herschel Walker? Look. I will never I will never say that Herschel Walker is not an amazing football player. Was not an amazing football player. He of was phenomenal. However, I think maybe he had one too many concussions. I mean, he speaks with marbles in his mouth. He doesn't make any sense. He's an election denier. He's now pro he's pro um, pro life as opposed to all of the other things that are coming out. He's full of shit and He's stupid. There's no other way for it, me to describe it, might, it. It might, but Michael, it might not matter because we are such we are such a, a point of polarization now. If 20 years ago, if 20 years ago there were a circumstance, I said to you, "Hey, Michael, here's a guy. He's running as a pro-life candidate, and in the 11th hour of the campaign, two women come out and they say he paid for my abortion. His own kid say, said it. He's done." You'd right. say he's done. That's the end of it. But people instead are looking past Herschel Walker in the same way that evangelicals have looked beyond Donald Trump. They don't buy into two Corinthians as him, him being a man of, of, of you know, the good <laughs> right. book. But there's there's like a bigger battle that people are looking at now. And in this case, it's going to be Senate control. I don't know what happens in Nevada. I don't know what happens in Arizona. So I'm not sure. Does it all come down to Georgia? 
But if it does, Herschel Walker's really not going to matter. And neither is Raphael Warnock. It's going to be all about the bigger st- uh, stakes. And a shit ton of money is about to be spent in Georgia. Yeah. So then let me ask you this question. Then how important are the independent voters that the Democrats were able to peel off? And based on on what we learned Tuesday, how do you think that we can keep that momentum alive and draw more people to our side, especially as Georgia is or looks like it's going to be the deciding factor? So my side is not the Democratic side, just to be crystal clear. And my side is not the Republican side. I am I am the poster child for the 42% in this country who tell Gallup they are an I, they are not an R or a D. And I get it. Some people like the panache of saying they're independent. I really am independent. So I don't have a vested interest in, in any of them. I like calling all of them out. In this case, I think independence played a critical role for, for limiting the size of whatever the Republican gain, if there is a gain in the House, ends up being. I think it's largely we've moved now to not persuasion in elections, but motivation. I mean, you know, like some of these candidates, they don't even make the effort. Mastriano, Mastriano wouldn't even allow the press to come into his events, much less try and win votes in a constituency that wasn't his naturally. It's all about firing up your base. Yeah, because the base is what's providing you money. Well, then let me ask you this, Mike. How effective do you think all of the new election rules were at keeping voters from the polls? Because it seems like people showed up despite all of these crazy new rules. Michael, I didn't didn't buy into it. I pissed people off because when Georgia, you know, like the most onerous of them, when, when Stacey Abrams would refer to the Georgia law as the new Jim Crow or whatever her words were, I took the time then to actually pull the law and read it. And I didn't find it to be as onerous as it was being cast. And in in Pennsylvania, we had an issue. Thank God it didn't end up determining the outcome of the race where you may have seen we had this controversy as to whether on the back of a mail-in ballot, the date that you put on it, a lot of people just get confused and they write their birthday. So the funny thing is, if I put down my birthday in 1962, my ballot would be accepted because I listed a date. If Michael Cohen forgot to put any date, yours would have been blown out. Things like that have got to get corrected, but the state legislature has refused to correct it. They like the ambiguity of it. So look, I'm, I'm for more people voting. I think it's healthy for the country when we dilute the fringes by getting everybody in the pool. So that's what I'm all about, full participation. Yeah, and look, in droves, the young Gen Zers, you know, they X, Y, and Zers, they came out. Um, and good for them because obviously, look, um, the road decision is something that is important to them, uh, as well as, you know, the future, I guess, democracy of this country, which is interesting because you may recall that there were polls that were done. And again, you know how much I, you know, says who with the polls and Again, I was right, you know, when I was dealing uh, on CNN with Brianna uh, in that in that issue. I don't believe that most of these polls are done legitimately. But one of the things that you saw is that the single biggest issue on the mind of voters today is the economy. And number two was gas. And number three is democracy. Well, I think I think we're seeing that that may not be true. I'm not sure one takes precedence over the other. And I think when people, you know, were standing in the voting booth and having to put their, you know, their sheet of paper in, I think they're really thinking about the future of this country a lot more than, you know, they may have said in one of these um, standardized polls. I think you're right. I think that's the only way that you can interpret these results. Yeah, there's no other way. So let me ask you this then. Are you as surprised as I am that the MAGA base doesn't seem to be controlling every aspect of the Republicans' agenda anymore? I mean, is it possible that even Republicans don't have the stomach for the MAGA brand of crazy and that democracy is actually important to Republicans, too? I don't believe this is going to sound ridiculous because because Trump still draws the number of people that he draws at his rallies. But I don't think that movement is about a love for Donald Trump personally or his policies, but rather I think it's much more about what he opposes. 
you know, he's the guy, as Peter Wenner would say about him, who's willing to bring a gun to a knife fight. And I think that they love that about him. And that's what keeps them supportive of him. It's it's all the people he criticizes and goes after and is anti-establishment, even though he's been the president of the United States. That's to me is the glue that holds together that movement. Uh, I, I just I don't you know, you'll say this is a, a function of maybe where I live or the type of show that I deliver. I just don't hear from many people who have a personal affinity for Donald Trump. They love that Trump's going to go fight Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all the other people who are on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. OK, great. But how does that benefit the, you know, the people in, you know, in America? So let me then ask you, let me follow up with that. How did then the Democrats get through to the blue collar voters? Or do you think that they've already started to make inroads? Because in all fairness, Democrats are better for the economy. They're better for civil rights and they're better for basic freedoms. I mean, do Republicans care about that stuff anymore or do they just want to own the libs? Listen, I, you, th there are a couple of questions that you asked involved in that. I thought that what's top of mind when I hear you say that is that I think that Tim Ryan ran a really great race in Ohio. But in the end, even though the polls were even, he ended up losing by, I don't know, seven or eight in the same way that Biden and Trump were even and then Trump won by eight in Ohio. I, I don't know that that largely white working class vote is coming back to the Democrats. You could look at Fetterman and I guess you could say, well, he was able to win many of them, but it might be a lost cause. I don't think it comes back to where it was 30, 20, even 15 years ago. I think that's a constituency that is in flux to the GOP based on a lot of cultural issues. What's the matter with Kansas kind of thing where people are voting even against their own economic interest? And at the same time, I look at the Hispanic vote and, and DeSantis, and I know that the Hispanic vote is a lot of different things in a lot of different parts of the country. And in Florida, it's largely Cuban Hispanic, whereas it's different things in other parts of the country. But, you know, the, the Hispanic vote is, I think, migrating toward the GOP in a big way. And that that could revolutionize what have been the traditional uh, supporting constituencies for D's and R's. It's all moving, Michael, is what I'm trying to say. It is not fixed in time. Why do you think that the Cuban Americans, especially the ones down there in South Florida, why do you think that they have moved over you know, to the GOP? I keep hearing from friends of mine that are there, including some who are Cuban. They, Look, we know what it's like when we were living in Cuba to be under, you know, a fascist, um, you know, authoritarian regime. And we're against it. But the thing to me that makes no sense, the fascist autocrat monarchical, you know, wannabe is actually Donald Trump. And he yeah, I was, think there's, he's I the think de facto there's a leader. I think there's a generational divide among the, the Cubans in Florida the parents, the grandparents, they remember, they know who Castro was, and the kids are totally different and more more up for grabs. Um, I think that Hispanics generally, uh, frankly, look at some of the border control mantra of the GOP, and in, you might think that they'd be against it, but I think they actually like it because they're here, they participated in the system lawfully that brought them here, and they resent the fact that so many are coming across the border, not playing by the rules. And then why is it then the Democrats, we don't put out the goddamn message that says, listen up, let me be really clear about this. And this is what I would do here. I'm back on the presidential campaign. So let me tell you something. That shit, our immigration policy has been fucked up for 50 plus years. Every fucking president before me has kicked that can down the road. Well, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. My father came to this country he came on a student visa because he was teaching head and neck reconstructive surgery over at Manhattan Eye and Ear Hospital from Canada, which is where he grew up after, of course, the war, meaning World War II. Um, and he then was being asked to leave and it was only because of Jacob Javits who interceded, gave him an indefinite visa until he was able to get through. And at the time, by the way, he was married to my mom, right, an American citizen, had my sister already, and I was um, in utero. 
All right, so he ultimately, three years later, after going through the whole process, got his citizenship, or five years later, whatever it was. My point is, my father doesn't feel that way. There has to be a better system. Somebody has to sit down and really tackle it. It's a tough issue to tackle, which is why everybody does what, what they've done. Kick the can down the road, and I will figure that out. That would be my DNC, right, speech, you know, to, you know, to the American people. And I don't understand why, why we're not putting out that message. I didn't create the immigration issue. This has been here for a long time, folks. I'm going to fix it. Everything you've just said is true, but there's a lot of visceral appeal in your opponent who says, and I'm going to build a wall. Because the simplicity of that is something that they can understand, and it makes sense to them, and they'll vote for it. But there already is a wall. That's the whole thing. And they keep talking about that's the, that's the point that nobody really came down and said, hey, stupid. This is what I would say to Donaldson next to me. Hey, stupid. All right. There already is a wall. All right. And yeah, there are parts of the wall that may have come down because of age. OK, we'll fix that, too. Just like you, Mr. Fucking Builder. Right. But at the end of the day, the wall exists. And the areas that aren't walled, for the most part, are on cliffs and mountains that she unless you're a professional mountain climber, you're not getting up that mountain, especially not carrying a I kid. Know, but but we, Michael, but we, we do. Obviously, we're setting records for the number of, of interventions stopping people. We you and I both know there is a serious problem. And, and I think just the changing of the guard between Trump and the way he was perceived and Biden has intentionally or not sent out a message that if you're looking to come across, you want to do it now and not on Trump's watch. No, that's probably true. And like I said before, there are things that I'm unhappy about uh, in this administration. And I believe that immigration is one of those issues that's been lingering for over 50 years and it needs to yep. be addressed. Once I and agree. for all, make I, I the agree. system make the system easier for people to apply. That doesn't mean that the people get in. All right, it just means that they have the ability to apply, and you cannot stay in the country under certain circumstances just right. because you have an application in. We'll call you. Right? None of this nonsense about tagging you and then waiting for you to show up. It's just yeah, not giving right. you a phone. I agree. That's, I that's agree. right. That's bullshit. So, I agree. Let me ask. Let me ask you this because you know. It's apparently time to pivot, right? And I want to gear, you know, and gearing up for the 2024 election. What should we focus on? I mean, what should we do that we haven't done yet? And where do we even begin? Wow. I don't know how to tackle that in the time we have left. Um, I guess I would say this, and it might be a bit of a, a, a punt. I, I thought that I was about to go back to my evergreen file and talk about the sort of issues that I enjoy talking about on air that are Seinfeldian, curb your enthusiasm, conversations about life and our kids and our environment. And we're not going to get a break because of the events that we've just discussed. We are going right from the frying pan into the fire without any relief. The starting gun for 2024 has been fired and it's hard not to get caught up in the personalities and the machinations, the jockeying for position. It's not a healthy thing, but it's its what we have to do. I spend my time using my platforms, including something that I want to promote. Don't leave me on the cutting room floor. I have a free daily newsletter, and it's comprised, among other things, of 20 aggregated links that I hand select every day because I think what's killing the country are the media silos and the partisanship among the media outlets. And so I've developed something where for the 100,000 who have signed up, they get an in their inbox from me every morning by eight, uh, a read of the day. Some with paywalls I can't control, but if you sit there on your phone and you scroll through, I will give you balance. We've never I had to so be, I happen to be one of them. Tell my audience exactly um, how to get theirs. You go to smirconish.com and you sign up. It's that easy. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to bombard you with with links. Nothing. Just sign up. And every day, like clockwork, you get the newsletter and the purpose, the intent, the mantra is balance delivered daily. I'm going to give you the New York Post. I'm going to give you the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to give you something that may be at Breitbart. I gave you something from Slate and from Salon and MSNBC at the same time, because somewhere in the mix, 
you know, is what we need to be fed. And too many are getting it all from the left or all from the right. And that is killing us. Yeah, tell me, it killed me. It ended up putting me away in prison with all the fake bullshit information, all the lies, the innuendo, misinformation, disinformation. I actually enjoy yours, and I pull a lot of the information for this show. Thank you. Uh, believe Thank it or you. not. And um, it you. does. It, it makes me smarter. So look, Mike, we have just about a minute left. The hour goes by quick. You and I could sit and bullshit for a lifetime. I want to ask you a quick question on this one. What about Twitter now that it's in the hands of Elon Musk? I mean, should we all quit in mass? Or do you think that Elon's free speech platform might actually be good for Twitter users? Or do you think he's going to tank the platform with misinformation and lies? I, I, drive, I drive his cars. I'm a Musk fan. I Me think too. he's brilliant. I think he's filled the shoes as close as anyone will of Steve Jobs. I liked a week ago, two weeks ago, when he finally took it over and he said, we need a robust town square and we can't allow it to develop into a hellscape. I'm all for that. I have to say, I was then disappointed where within 48 hours, he retweeted some bullshit story yep. about Paul Pelosi. It was really a disappointment to me, but I just like, I hate seeing this guy now get caught up in, in like, oh, he's perceived as an R. I've got to be against him. Or, hey, he's an R. Now they treat him well on, on Fox News. I, I'm hoping for his success because I think Twitter needs to change. Twitter's a nasty place. By the way, if I listened to the Twitter mob, and probably you too, I don't know, uh, my God, I couldn't get out of bed every morning. So yeah. I let it roll off my back, but I think it provides a service. They are. They're like a bunch of Twitter texting tough guys that say the meanest, Beer nastiest muscles. things Beer that you muscles. can absolutely. It's like, a guy, it's like a guy at closing time and who wants to fight everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And look, I'm with you on Elon Musk. I think the guy is beyond brilliant. Um, the, yep. fact that, the fact that he retweeted something and it's a mistake, I don't hold Elon Musk in the, we'll say, in the, um, you know, in the way that you would hold God, right? He's not omnipotent. Um, he doesn't, you know, he'll make mistakes too, right? Um, you know, to err is human. Um, and he made a mistake. Okay, big shit. What does that have to, my feeling is, what does that have to do with Twitter as a whole? And the funny thing is, I liked when he came out and he was smart. He's a, he's a good salesman too, you know? Yep. When he was like, I'm going to allow if Donald wants to come back onto my, onto my site and so on and so forth. Well, the first thing I did is I came out, I think it was on Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, and I said, Donald's not going to come back to Twitter. That means that his platform failed, right. which it is failing, right. but right. he cannot accept a failure. And so for him to go to Elon Musk's means that he's less of a man because, you know, Donald's the man than Elon Musk. Well, guess what, Donald? You don't compare to Elon Musk, not intelligence wise, not financially, not in any way, shape or form. And finally, just to go back to where we started, that's why I see it being very difficult that he doesn't run because he will be perceived as not being the man that he says that he is. We're going to find out if you're right. Well, I had a bet with a friend the other day about Hochul and Zeldin, and I said that Hochul will win by about six points, and I bet um, my buddy a slice of pizza, the 99-cent pizza. So now we got to go find He's got to go find that. You know, you can't a go slice. to a good pizza. But that's right, the 99-cent pizza slices, which are over by right. Times Square. All right, so that's the bet, and I'm going to make one with you on that one too. He's not running, all right? I know Lardass, and I know he's not running. When and when will he make that clear? <laughs> it's going to be a while. He's going okay. to ignore. He's going to play it out. Yes, because he's going to continue. That. He's going to continue the big grift. And every day you're going to get more and more text messages asking for money. And that's what it's going to be all about. He's going to then say, I've decided I'm going to be the kingmaker. I'm going to endorse people, make sure they get you know, elected. And then you know, we'll talk about it in the future. But right now. It's not in my future. I need to be the kingmaker. Michael, the next time I come back, don't hold back on what you think. Like, I, you know, I, I need to know how you really look at issues. I don't want you to be timid, okay? Tell me what I, you really think. I promise you um, I will be more outgoing. 
on our next uh, on our next event. And I promise that when when I come and join you on television, I will continue to keep my um, vernacular in check. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for your time, for your insight. You are truly a special guy. And make sure, make sure, of- make sure you tag me, and I will I will help promote the drop of this. Absolutely. And don't forget, go to smirkanish.com and get the newsletter. I highly please, recommend it. Please, please, please. Thank you. Be well, my friend. See you, Michael. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my-